Peace World. This is Alan Greer bringing you Politic and Wild Black. Uh, this is our first episode, according to my brother Chi. He's, he's flashing me a two, but I thought when it's a pilot, right, that meant that it was like, all right, episode one, but apparently episode two. Always glad to be corrected because we want to bring you truthful information. And so episode two. Um, now, I know I had a put out a few things about the candidates that we were going to be going over today, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, and Elizabeth Warren. Um, but after doing my research, and it was a lot of research, I was I found out that I'm only going to be able to do one candidate at a time until I get to some of the newer candidates and maybe they don't have as much history. And so uh, we are going to be starting with Joe Biden and um, before I jump into it, I will say that I believe everybody can change on uh, their worldviews, of course, with time. And uh, I'm not going to go with the positive spin that a lot of media tries to go with. I'm going to go with uh, things they supported, um, policies that was pushed. And so I'm going to be bringing that to you and the side that doesn't often uh, get spoken about because I know there are good things um, and I'm going to bring up a few, but I'm not going to, you know, try to bring all that light to especially to to to, to Joe Biden. There's not anything negative against him. Kind of is. I'm gonna be honest. But, you know, I don't think that is spoken about often enough. And with that being said, we're going to go straight into it. Um, Joe Biden, full name, Joseph Robinetti Biden Jr. Uh, he receives a lot of his name recognition because, of course, he was uh, Obama's vice president for two terms. And most recently, because the media is really hyping him up and you can put anything. If you put anything on TV enough, uh, people will think it's the best thing. No matter how bad a movie is or how bad a car is, if you hype it up enough, people will automatically assume, okay, well, enough people are talking about it. It must be something good. Um, but he did run for president twice before, and uh, he didn't win, as we all know. But he does have a lot of history in the Senate um, as well as, you know, in his states. And so we're going to go over a little bit here today. And um, one of the things that are constantly brought up about Joe Biden is his electability. And from what I've seen, it's the same electability as Hillary Clinton. It's a lot of uh, center Democratic points of view. And, you know, the center is where, OK, I don't want to offend Republicans. I don't want to get too much pushback from Democrats. And so I have to work the center where we can meet, come with policies, shake hands. Nobody gets everything they want, but we can all get some things we want if we work together. And as we saw with the uh, Hillary Clinton campaign, even though she did get three million more votes, um, she tried to work from the center where she would go for indecisive Republican candidates over Bernie Sanders, progressive candidates um, in, 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 in an instance where I thought was a huge mistake. And, you know, we're here now where we have a similar situation. And so 
it looks dangerously close to saying that and I hope not but if I believe if this is what's going to be the choice then there may be another Trump presidency in 2020 and I don't really think the country can handle that right now and um, more references to bring up from that uh, eight years of seeing Republicans trying to obstruct every policy isn't fresh enough. So we're going to go over it uh, for Joe Biden. And I'm talking about Mitch McConnell, the uh, the, the leader, uh, the majority leader right now, um, fresh from Obama's goal, said that we're going to obstruct everything as much as possible. And, you know, to try to go beyond that was hard for his presidency to get anything passed through. And as we're seeing now, a lot of what Obama had put into play is being taken back. Uh, the Paris Climate Accord, I believe, the um, deal with Iran. And so there's there's everything that was set into play is being taken back because trying to play the center. And so uh, Mitch McConnell. Again, the senior uh, or the, the the leader of the majority Republican Party right now um, blocked Obama's Supreme Court pick for over 100 days. And that's a president's right to nominate somebody to take a Supreme Court when uh, Justice Scalia died. And so they didn't let him perform his presidential right. Um, one of the first cases I want I don't I don't want to say in history because I didn't look that far, but in recent history where that has happened and to to go further into that um, 30 years earlier, he had or Mitch McConnell had no issue voting on a Reagan SCOTUS um, Supreme Court nominee pick. And it was in his last year. So what's happening is, is that he held he created a new policy where you couldn't vote on a Supreme Court pick because it was Obama's last year. Right. And he told people that that was his grounds to stand on because he wants people to have a fresh pick from a new president that would, you know, represent the people. But 30 years prior, he did this and he saw no issue with it. And then to pour more salt in the wound, he goes on national TV, takes a long sip of his uh, granny's peach tea and says, I would gladly fill the seat again as soon as there is an opening. So there's a there's a thumb in your eye even further that, yeah, it may be Trump's last year, but I am going to stack this Supreme Court with so many right-leaning justices that for at least a generation, possibly two, you won't be able to push anything except for moving further right, further right, and further right from where we currently are right now. And with Democrats that want to play a center to a further right point of view all the time, that's dangerous. Because we're moving to a zone where the center and the right are becoming very similar. So it's not a very good game to play. And that's why I would say we need a more progressive candidate, in my opinion. 
because we can't afford to play a center game where everybody meets in the middle between caging some kids and caging all these kids. Let's meet in the middle here or Nazis being decent people, Nazis not being decent people. Now, Joe Biden has come out um, and one of his first ads was against the Nazi thing. So kudos to him for that. You know, he actually came out stronger than the, the president of the United States against Nazis. And it was very impressive. But eventually we're going to come to a point where the line is going to be so far over. Well, all these Nazis aren't bad people. There's going to be a politician at some point in time when I hope not my lifetime. And you can't allow this bully mentality to always control the narrative because at some point in time, it just keeps, you know, it's enough. And I think we're at that point because we can't afford another generation or two of these policies where we're moving further right and we want to accommodate everyone because you can't accommodate everyone when there is insanity on the table. And so let's get into uh, Mr. Joe Biden's early career. And originally, funny enough, he started off as an independent um, because he didn't like Richard Nixon's policies. Uh, I trust more on the social side of things. But they did try to have him on the uh, Republican ticket because, as he admits himself, he he's like, you know, he, he can he can work both sides of the aisle from where he is. And so they wanted him on the Republican side, but he did register as an independent before becoming part of the Democratic Party. He did work with um, liberal Republicans. Level up, excuse me, liberal Republicans in early stages in his career and often sees the middle ground approach. And about 30 or 40 years ago, this would have been decent um, to do. But now where um, I believe it's called or what they're calling it now is they're calling uh, carbon emissions freedom fuel. And so we have a party that's denying science. And I know some people will be like, oh, global uh, global warming isn't real. Now, when a whole ice shelf breaks off in the Arctic, there's some danger going on. We have to be aware. And 30 or 40 years ago, we maybe could have worked something out. But if scientists tell you that in 12 years, there's going to be a fire that engulfs your house and 90% of them say it. I don't want you to be the one that's like, eh, science isn't real because there's a looming danger that we have to be aware of um, with middle ground politics. And uh, one of the bigger things on my plate is uh, was against desegregation busing. And that's where these kids from poor and inner communities, usually black, were driven into uh, rich and suburban areas to get a better education. And he was against that because his constituents were against it. But even at a point representing your constituents to, to such a level, um, again, people change. It's possible if you admit you're wrong. But to me, that sticks out like a sore thumb, especially in a party that relies on people of color to come out and vote and based off of the last presidency in 2016 or presidential election where 
over half the population didn't come out and vote for anybody. So we have to get them motivated to come out. And I don't know if an actual apology um, for that would come, but we need something to motivate people. And I'm going to call it the apartheid of America during that time where, you know, the separate but equal was going on and they separated a whole group of people. But um, separate um, desegregation busing was a very giant thing. And so another issue that keeps getting brought up every time he does a interview or a rally is Anita Hill. And I'll start off with he did call and apologize to Anita Hill. Granted, he did it at a time around the time of him going to run for presidency. So I doubt the sincerity to me in the level of if you're going to be sorry for something, you're going to be sorry closer to when it happened or at least try to say something before then, not when you're trying to run for an office. And for those of you that are unfamiliar Anita Hill uh, was accusing sexual harassment on a Supreme Court member, Clarence Thomas, uh, back in the day. And Joe Biden was one of the most avid uh, attackers of her and didn't believe her and, you know, came at her character quite often. And so now we are at a stage of in our society of Me Too and uh, women's rights and abortion in certain states being illegal. And there's all these things where it doesn't look good in history to say that I not only didn't believe a woman who uh, had evidence, but also I pretty much was on the side of the man who Clarence Thomas, who, who, uh, who said he who said he didn't do it. And that brings us to something that happened with the most recent Supreme Court pick, Brett Kavanaugh. Um, Brett Kavanaugh, and he he was accused of he was accused of raping a woman, and there was evidence. And of course, he still got his Supreme Court seat because they pushed it through, and nobody denied him the the right to pick. But um. There were there were all these signs leading up to Brett Kavanaugh. And this is why history is important, because it sets a precedent that this is acceptable. And we keep moving further and further to this right where Brett Kavanaugh is now Supreme Court justice and he's going to set the law for the land. And we have Roe versus Wade being endangered because of all of these far right Supreme Court justices that could very well say that, you know, my daughter doesn't have the right to choose what she wants with her body. And I didn't sign up to fight for a country like that. And so um, we have to be aware of who we're voting for, the past they have, and the things that they supported, because even though they may not support it now, it helped build the current present we're in. Lastly, on that is uh, Jill Biden, Joe Biden's wife, saying uh, to the to the victim, um, Anita Hill, it's time to move on. And so he apologized. It's time to move on and get it done. Um, but 
when you do something wrong to somebody, you don't get to decide when that time is done. You can apologize. That doesn't mean they have to accept it. And if it's not really sincere, then there's still something to go over again. That's just my opinion, though. Um, now, he uh, he supported the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And what that is, is where 12 nations came together to increase trade to lower tariffs on one another. And the issue with that came about is that many feared it would make even more jobs in the U.S. go overseas where labor is cheaper. And we kind of have that happening anyway, especially with the new tax cuts that says, uh, you know, you make more if you ship your jobs overseas. Um, one of the biggest one of the biggest situations that happened to or at least that was in the news with carrier car company and them shipping jobs over to Mexico. They said they weren't going to do it. And all these jobs were saved, thousands of jobs. And really, it turned out being 300 jobs that were already saved. But they did a news press conference. Um, so the president can have some type of face and say to his supporters, hey, look what I'm doing for you. And that blew up in their face. And so now many of them are complaining because, you know, he came to their town and he was saying, that you were going to save our jobs. You were going to save my house. You were going to help us out. But in reality, he was a snake oil salesman and the deal was already done. There was no negotiations, really. It was just a big public thing. And so Carrier left. But that was a fear that there will be other companies leaving because if my product can be made cheaper, and then I could bring it back and then I could sell it for more over here, like what Apple does all the time. Um, then that's a profit. It's not illegal. I'm just following the guidelines, which is totally fine. But it's not totally fine because then the American workers are left holding the bag. We're the ones that are drained. Our economy is sucked. And these Rich families are the ones that get the biggest tax cuts because they are considered job creators, but they don't pay living wages. So it's slave labor, even here in the States of where you could work full time at seven. I think it's seven twenty five, a minimum wage and 40 hours where you're getting 40 hours from at one job. I don't know. Many people work two jobs and they don't provide good health care benefits. Um, vacation packages or maternity leave or paternity leave for that matter but you can't pay for rent um right now uh in a i think it's a two two room apartment and so there's a there's a lot going on that we have to pay attention to with that but that was a trans-pacific partnership and uh one of the big things at least for my generation of millennials and coming at him again, he said he doesn't really feel sorry for millennials. And I, I take that personally because a lot of politicians did vote for the war in Iraq. But to say that you don't feel sorry for a generation that is the most educated by far to date. And we go to school, which we were told to do for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then we can't get a job making over $40,000. It seems like a false promise. So I'm not going to hold the the voted for the Iraq war because, uh, again, a lot of politicians did it. It was, you know, I want to say emotionally motivated because we were told that this country did it. And so we have to go and, you know, sacrifice. And a lot of people who are my age signed up for it. 
because we believe that that was our civic duty. And now we know that it was a lie, but the war is still raging on and there's no end in sight. As a matter of fact, now we want to go to war with Iran and uh, with Pompeo and uh, John Bolton in President Trump's cabinet. I wouldn't be surprised if it winds up happening before he's out of office or hopefully he doesn't get reelected because then I can almost call it. But, you know, this this endless cycle of war where young old men are sending young people to go and die for an idea um, of freedom. But really, it's aggressive wars that we're not being attacked. We, we Nobody's attacked us. So, you know, we're just advancing this. Uh, we got to defend our freedom over in Iraq and over in Iran. How did our freedom get all the way over there? We don't know, but we have to go defend it. And so I would hope that in this uh, new situation where Iran is coming around the corner or Venezuela or anywhere else where they want to put boots on the ground, he is firmly against it and against any war. The Patriot Act, he was for it. And what that basically did was gave the government a legal way to spy on the citizens they believed to harbor terrorist connections. That was uh, that was the excuse they used to to go into your phone, your computer and things like that. But what ended up happening was they used it to spy on everybody. And this was the this was when Edward Snowden came with his leak and actually put proof that we are being spied on by our government. And a lot of people were shocked, but it basically says, hey, we're going to take away these freedoms in order to protect you. And when people are afraid, it's very easy to take away certain freedoms because they think that, oh, you know, I'm, I'm being safe and this is for the best. But in reality, what happens is usually when people are taking away more freedoms is to infringe upon you and to a, a sense of control or a source of control. And we have to be aware of acts like this, even though this one is already in play. It's never been taken back. And so people like Edward Snowden are the unsung heroes that let us know that this is currently going on. And I believe that he isn't even allowed in America because they would arrest him much like uh, Julian Assange or when they were finally able to uh, bring him to American soil. And one of the biggest things for me that I know I'm supposed to be a little bit more impartial and just bring facts, but this one affected my community. He actually wrote the 94 crime bill. And what that did was um, people served longer times, three strike rule, and pretty much putting more police in certain neighborhoods. And there is an idea that black people, even though 13% of the population commit more than half of the crimes, and I always argue is just that because policing is a lot different in the sense where you'll have a white kid in school and they can just go to school. But black girls in America are six times more likely to be expelled and black boys are more likely to hold records because of police in schools and they'll give you a record for pretty much anything or if you did even get in a fight now you have a permanent strike against your record and it never goes away it, it, it's a it's a perpetuated cycle 
And so it tore many of our communities apart. I know friends, family that were gone for long periods of time. And I was looked at like a minute is like a menace and a super predator. And so I have my own stories was on video talking about how tough he was on crime. And it seemed like a proud moment back in 95. I was on C-SPAN. He was really happy that, you know, he was really tough on crime and, you know, taking apart these communities. And so I just and this was all I looked it up while seeing this. And, you know, that rage started to bubble up again because being tough on crime usually meant being tough on inner city kids who didn't have any other means to produce food for their families. And so, you know, being tough on me when I'm just trying to survive. Now, I'm not saying drug dealers shouldn't have some type of repercussion. It's just that what happened wasn't justifiable, especially in the sense where uh, now we have an opioid epidemic is considered a crisis and we have to help people on opioids. I don't remember what the drug is called, but when people overdose with opioids now, many officers will have the pen of narcin, I think it's called, and it's to save their life. And so, you know, there was no there was no there was no pen to help black people just very long stints of jail time, followed by very long records that followed us for a very long time and blocked us from many opportunities. And so there was, you know, in my community, I know a giant shock and nothing to be proud of. You know, maybe again, that's changed now and you feel sorry for it, but that doesn't take away the impact it's had upon my life, my family's life, and people that come from the poor and inner city communities like myself. And so he did write that. And it's just one of those things where I personally can't let that go. But moving on to current time, um, and this list is a little bit shorter. I try to keep it where just a few positive things. I always try to end on a positive note. Um, he does support common sense gun laws. And as a veteran, so do I. I think there are certain arms that should not be in the civilian's utility um, because at that point you're not hunting prey, you're hunting people. But um, I think that's really good to have, say, a certain waiting period, um, background check for mental stabilities and um, making sure that they don't have a uh, violent history, especially to, let's just say, people who are abusive to their spouse. Um, because that level of violence is shown to be why they feel as if they can't leave because their life is in danger. And so we're on the same page with that one. Um, supports expanding Obamacare. I think that's really excellent with what we currently have. But as a progressive, I think that we can do better because even if you expand Obamacare, there will be a pop or a certain group that will not be on health care. And we could just have Medicare for all instead of a half step that is considered Obamacare. Obamacare was good. It covered a lot of people, but we can do better. Many countries are doing it. I think we are the only industrialized country where uh, there's Canada, there's Finland. There is uh, I think even London has it where they have Medicare for all. And what that is, yes, you uh, will lose your provider, but you would still have once it's initiated, you would still be able to go to your doctor. 
People don't care about their provider. They care about their doctor. Um, If you have a good doctor, you'd be able to keep them and you wouldn't lose your doctor because you lose your job or, you know, your spouse lost their job or you just can't pay for the premiums or the medications. You will still be covered. And so instead of a half step, I would like to see him move for Medicare for all. He does support a Green New Deal, but he wants to do it from the middle ground. And what that is, is where, again, there's companies that are saying, hey, this will hurt our bottom line. And there are people, well, there are doctors saying we have 12 years before the earth has all these cataclysms that are unavoidable because of global emissions. And so what he wants to do is meet in the middle. But in this situation where our children are going to have to live in the world that we've created that are so hostile, where there are going to be environmental refugees eventually and if you think it's bad now if you don't like refugees now or asylum seekers once a whole area of like let's just say an island becomes flooded you know and those people have to move somewhere there are going to be a half they're going to have to be a lot more accommodations made at that point um so on this topic there is no middle ground to go we have to start moving forward with a more a better green new deal that protects our children. Um, so on that one, we don't quite agree. Now, he has changed his opinion recently on the Hyde Amendment. And what that is, is where certain uh, monies will be used for Planned Parenthood, health care purposes, which may cover abortion, which is less than 1% of Planned Parenthood's business. But he was against it for a long time, and he's recently changed his viewpoint on that. I hope he continues to support um, that as education and options are the best for women to, to have with their doctors, not with politicians. And isn't really specific on policy, um, but he says his main goal is to defeat Trump. And honestly, that's pretty much all of our goals, because as we've seen the past uh, two and a half years, we can't continue on this path of madness and instability. Um, We have to have somebody in office who actually wants to represent everybody and not just uh, certain groups of people, whether they be rich, racist, xenophobic or whatever else. And so um, we can agree on that. But policy in this presidency has to matter. Um, It can't just be, and this is where I'm going to go into my last bit of defeating Trump and a ground plan. We can't just go into it with our only thing is defeating Trump because that won't work. Um, It didn't work for Clinton in 2016. It won't work in 2020. We have to have it where People are motivated to come out and actually give us their votes. And we have to do it where we're focusing on our progressive and our democratic. If you want to say center, then cool. But democratic left, not democratic center right. We have to get those people come out and vote for us. Um, And we can do that with great policies. Uh, We legalization, which Biden is against, but. He's still on the fence about it, hopefully. Jail reform, 
education being affordable, housing being affordable, medicine being affordable. There are many things that we can run on that are policy wise actually taxing the rich, which he has supported in the past. I do give Joe Biden that. Um, But it's not a high enough amount, in my opinion. We still need to do more. And we have to realize that Trump is not the end all be all. Trump is a symptom of the disease. We have a very bad symptom right now. And it seems like he is, um, you know, causing all these issues and problems around the world and even in our country. But he is a symptom. The system that is current helped create a Trump. And so we have to move it where another Trump can never come into office, hopefully, or at least not somebody smarter, but still acts like Trump. And the reason Trump is so bad is because he's not intelligent enough to actually hide what he's doing. He goes on Twitter all the time and he'll boast about that. And he will continue to talk and talk and talk himself into a corner. But what most politicians do, you don't know what they're doing. Um, They don't go on Twitter and then you know, they pass policy after policy. And because people usually don't care about politics or at least speaking them to other people, you know, it just keeps moving down the line. And so we can't afford another symptom to come up. We have to stop it. So we have to move from the middle ground and actually start moving further to where we were representing the people, what they want and policies that will benefit them the most. Um, Truly and for surely, I think that is the best way forward. And Joe Biden, I will say, is charismatic at times, but troublesome at times also. I will look forward to him speaking more on policy in the future. I may do another podcast on it. But until then, family. Friends, peace, love, and understanding to you all. I appreciate you being here with me. And for all the people that came back, uh, thank you so much. And for the people who are new here, we appreciate you too. Go back and listen to the other one. I'm going to do many more of these on the uh, politicians, policies, and things that have affected my community, poor communities, and people like me. Have a great day. Love you. Peace.